What's up, babes? And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Jaber's Week Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringo, and today I'm happy to once again be joined, due to popular demand, Rob Parker. How you doing, Rob? Good, Adam. I guess when it rains, it pours. Nice to be back. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, we went about a year without you being on, and now we've got you on twice in less than a week. Uh, and today we're going to do some rink wraps. So we're not even having you on for like a special topic. This is just a, a general year-end review podcast. So uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, well, uh, JP told me that if I didn't write any, I was going to have to figure out a way to pitch in. So here we are. See, what's unfair is he just signed me up for one. He didn't even ask, and then you, but you, but you got off the hook. So. Yeah, that's called uh, tenure. Yeah, sounds like I got a I got a bad agent who's not doing a good job negotiating for me. But to be fair, he did sign me up for Andre Burakovsky, so I can't be too mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Rob, let's start with uh, the guy we spent most of last episode talking about. So we don't need to spend too too much time on uh, John Carlson. Um, you know, Carlson had 15 goals, 53 assists for 68 points, which, if I'm remembering correctly, led all defensemen in points. Uh, it, it was really a great year for John Carlson. Um, even though we talked about it last episode, what are, what are just some general thoughts on John Carlson? Yeah, I mean, he put it together at the right time. Uh, you know, the, the whole contract year magic. Um, but again, you know, he he was complete throughout the. You know, he played even strength, penalty kill, and power play. Obviously, it's tempting to say well, you got to play point and just feed Ovi for a bunch of cheap assists, which is probably true, but he was right there with even strength scoring as well. So you, you can't really limit it to that. And for a guy to play the, the number of minutes he plays every single year, um, he deserves his due and obviously he got it. You know, I, I don't know that, um, you know, he's probably a little bit easier than, than a lot of the other guys because he actually had an objectively really good regular season, right? Leading defensive scoring, you can't knock. But a lot, you know, a lot of these guys, they sort of turn it up a notch in the in the postseason, and you go from some pretty mediocre years into you know great playoff years, um, and, it, and it's hard to separate that. You know, John Carlson again led the scoring in the playoffs, which I'm sure every single Cavs fan right now is like, fuck it. You're going to do that. You can do whatever you want in the regular season. So um, I have a feeling that, you know, all these scores are going to go a little bit north just based on the way that you're in. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got you got to expect the free agents are going to get paid when the team wins. Um, I'm trying to look over. Jason Rogers did our rink wrap, which if all of our listeners have not checked out already, they should. JabersRink.com and, and just look in the rink wrap section. Um, you know, Carlson's boxcars, I mean, in the contract year, I was trying to think of the last cap that really boosted his numbers in the contract year. And, you know, believe it or not, the guy I was thinking about was Alexander Semin, right? I mean, didn't Semin always have really great uh, contract years? I mean, Carlson had 37 points in 72 games this last year, and he's up to 68 and 82 this year and was amazing in the playoffs. Uh, are you a little concerned that he's going to regress, or, or are you pretty confident that Carlson's going to stay where he's at? Um, I'm not all that concerned. I mean, there, there's going to be some age regression because the length of the term is going to take him into his mid thirties. You know, Semin had a bunch of contract years because they never gave him more than one or two at a time. Yeah. So, you know, it felt like he was always on it. Um, I don't get the sense that, um, I, I think he got a little bit of luck to it, but I didn't feel like Carlson's game was like super fluky where, um, yeah. you can't count on it. And he's a pretty, um, durable player he hasn't missed a whole ton of time his game's kind of simple and as long as they've got the forwards up front to make you pay like his game is all about getting pucks to the forwards or getting pucks to the net and if you've got guys that have finishing talent which the caps obviously have he's going to continue to pick up his points so you know now they can figure out you know they don't have to worry about paying him for these points again they can 
juice him on the power play. And um, it's pretty nice to be able to look at him and say, you know, he would be the number one on most teams if the Caps want to kind of shelter him a little bit and not put him on the top pair. They've got Niskanen and Orlov. So I think he's in a good spot for them to find a way. Um, he's versatile, again, power play and penalty kill. So, you know, I, I think he'll find a way to contribute for the majority of that deal. He's a pretty smooth skater and um, hasn't taken too much punishment yet. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of good stuff to look at. Um, again, Jason did a great job kind of pointing out how the Capitals used Carlson in all three uh, all three strength situations, right? They used him at even, power play, and shorthanded, um, which is actually pretty rare. So kudos to John. The guy got paid eight times eight. Um, he's going to be a big part of this team moving forward. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't be more happy for him. And uh, any, any issues with the contract, I mean, whatever, they won the cup, right? So... Um, I don't really have any more thoughts. I don't know. Eight years, eight years is a long time to say whatever they won the cup. Yeah. Is, is um, it? <laughs> After waiting 40, yeah. 40 plus, I feel pretty good with eight. Dude, you haven't been waiting 40 plus. Okay, with the franchise waiting. I've been waiting for, <laughs> for, for 27. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If, if, it, if it does start to go bad, then it, it won't look good. But you know, he, he has a limited no trade anyway. It's not. It's not. It's from the. They, they, they could still deal. Right, exactly. And there's always someone to take it. Exactly. There's always someone to take it. I mean, they were able to get someone to take Brooks Orpic, right? So let's 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 give right. them some credit. And, and Brooks like. And, and Brooks. You know what? That's a good point. And and you like know, that that that's the other thing. Have you noticed that like teams are able to get away from these like awful contracts that seem yeah, completely yeah. unmovable? Like they're, they're, it, it, it's crazy to me, especially when we look at see. I mean. Uh, hopefully Carlson will still be good. That it won't matter. But with another expansion coming with Seattle. They're, they've got to be willing to take on some of these bad contracts too, right? So um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what teams do, especially with another lockout coming. you got to imagine we're going to have some compliance buyouts again. Again, not that Carlson's going to be someone just talking in generally about how teams get out from bad contracts. I think it's going to be yeah, really interesting. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. I think, you know, figure out that day later. But I think fans worry more about the out years than GMs, and it looks like so far – the GMs have been right about it. Well, or the GM's going to be gone. It's going to be someone else's problem. Well, either way, but there's always someone to take it off their hands. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're right either way. Yeah, you get fired if you if it doesn't work out, but even if it does work out, you get to move the guy at some point and say, you know, whatever, we'll deal with it, and it always works out that way. So pay the guy to, you know, like my point, you know, the other day, pay the guy to keep the band together because this team is super competitive. All right, on a scale of 1 to 10, what are you giving John Carlson and his superior play and especially amazing playoff performance? I mean, honestly, his regular season was probably a 6, yeah. maybe a 7. I mean, he wasn't that far off. Obviously, the box cars jumped, so you can give him some, you know, leading the league and scoring is not to be expected, I don't think. And then the playoffs, he was great. But again, you know, <laughs> there were some questions asked defensively. Um, but that's, you know, his game is his game and he scores a lot and he's a righty. So, you know, that's a valuable commodity and and you kind of got to take what you get. So probably put him at like a 7.5 or an eight, just because the the playoffs was great. And if you can show up at that point, he legit did make some huge plays and, um, you know, regardless of the air, some of those goals were pretty huge. Yeah. It's a shame that his prettiest goal came in the Capitals lost in game one against, uh, Vegas, right? That like that that beautiful little spin play by T.J. Oshie got Carlson right out in front. You know, Mark Andre Fleury doing the doing Mark Andre Fleury things, being way. It was like that was like a half puck width from going the other way, odd man rush, and he just managed to capture it. It worked out perfectly. All right. Yeah. And then of course Ryan Reeves got away with his cross check of Carlson in the back. So really, it all worked out pretty well. So. uh uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna give Carlson like an eight, um, or maybe even a nine, because while his regular season was above expectation, I, I think it was actually more above expectations than, than maybe it was for you. Just because I didn't think Carlson would be that good of a point producer in the regular season. Um, you know, I, I remember Manib and I did an in-depth analysis of the Capitals' power play. I guess it was like three years ago. We we, we watched how the Capitals scored all of their goals on the power play, and it was some we were trying to compare how Mike Green versus John Carlson did it setting him up up top. And Carlson just always couldn't get the puck in Ovi's 
like in the right spot, right? He was always a bit too far forward or a bit too far back, and he developed that. He's worked on it. You, you'd imagine feeding the puck to the same guy all the time. Eventually, you get it right, and he has. Um, Ovi's the best goal scorer, and uh, I, you know, it's not always the easiest thing in the world to get that guy the puck where he wants it. And uh, Ovi does great, and Carlson has shown that he is more than capable of. Uh, being a valuable asset both on the power play and during even strength. So let's move on and talk about a guy who uh, I think there's a lot more debate about how valuable he really is um, on the ice, maybe not off the ice, and that's another free agent in Jay Beagle. Um, real fast before I ask you anything, Rob, I just want to give uh, give, give great kudos to uh, our, our team at Japers Rink that was very wise in putting all the free agents at the beginning of the rink wrap process to make sure that they were still relevant. So, uh, nice job, guys. Um, Rob, what are your thoughts on uh, Jay Beagle before we talk about whether he's coming back or not? Uh, you know, he, he is um, what he is. Uh, he's reliable. Um, he, the thing that I think is the most important, especially the way that they're you know, kind of top nine emerged, is that he's a guy that can eat your defensive zone face-offs and he can start every penalty killing shift. There's nothing sexy to him and he should not ever be on the top line. He shouldn't ever be um, a priority in terms of term or dollar value for the team. But as far as like depth fourth liners go that provide all these sort of little um, almost kind of Swiss army knife type skills for the team, he's about as good as you could ask for. Um, so I saw Elliot Freeman said that there are going to be teams that are going to make it hard for him to stay, which presumably means, you know, other teams are looking for him and look, Matt Hendricks is not even close to Jay Beagle. I don't think he's not even, you know, Jay Beagle can at least claim to be an elite face-off guy, which for a guy who's going to take a lot of defensive zone shifts is, is a pretty great thing to add. Matt Hendricks never had that to add. He had a couple fights and, you know, tried his ass off, but he got a huge deal in term and yeah, it was Edmonton, but you see what some of these guys get, get um, valued at on the open market. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see someone throw way too much at Jay Beagle. And I would certainly not advocate making him any kind of priority, but um, he's the kind of guy you need to have on your bottom lines, especially if you want to do kind of what we've talked about in bringing up some forwards that have been drafted. You need to have someone who's, a defensive conscience and who can, you know, throw down with like grown NHL men, because even in that Stanley cup finals with, with the fourth line that the caps had, which was really good. They got pushed around a little bit by the Vegas fourth line. So, you know, what happens if you all of a sudden start looking at like Chandler Stevenson is the veteran presence on that line. Um, that that's really where I see the, the huge um, need to have a Jade Beagle type player. You know, at, at some point, I feel like you've got to give the kids ice time, though. And Jay Beagle, you know, bless that guy, right? I mean, he's he's the only player in the history of hockey to win both at the ECHL, the AHL, and the NHL level. I mean, that's incredible. Um, he he's done a lot of great stuff throughout his career in Washington. Um, on a personal note, when when I yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. But when I when I was younger, uh, I actually got to meet Jay Beagle when I was doing some intern work with the only one day during Caps development camp, actually, in Jay Beagle's first thing. And he was a great guy. Really enjoyed talking with him. And uh, I, I just think it's time for the team to move on uh, and give the, the younger guys an opportunity, uh, personally. But I, I understand what you're saying, but um, I, I think with the way the league's going, you don't need those big guys anymore. I mean, right? There, there, There's a reason, or even a veteran guy, right? There's a reason that Vegas... Uh, scratched Ryan Reeves later in the series. Granted, it didn't help them win, but Vegas was was winning late into well, that final game they, without him. They didn't scratch him. They didn't scratch him for a rookie or a guy who just burned a rookie year and was still on a an entry level or RFA contract. They scratched him for Tatar, who, who, they, who they gave up a first, first a second, and a third round right. pick for. And, and Fair and enough. All right, all right, all right. All right. Contract. Like, the other guys on that line, you had Belmar and, and Nosek, I think, is pretty young, but they yeah. still had veteran presence. And if you look at like fourth lines across the league, specifically in the playoffs, the teams that do well, and I mean, I have shit on that best fourth line in hockey trope as much as anyone, and I think it is silly, but 
having a good fourth line that doesn't get pushed around is not nothing. No, but don't you and, want... I mean, the Capitals could use the fourth line that they used as a third and fourth line in Game 6 against Pittsburgh, right? I mean, they could be using guys that helped them beat the defend, two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, um, who I think have some offensive upside as well. Well, so. yeah, I agree. I just wouldn't go, like, Stevenson, Boyd, and Gersich or, or, Gersich or uh, Walker. Like, I wouldn't go with all three of them. What I would... What I would have envisioned would have been like Beagle flanked by any two of those guys, and you just keep them rotating through the lineup. And if someone gets hurt, then someone gets a more permanent spot. But I mean, obviously, we're foreshadowing because that picture changed, but that's sort of how (laughs) I I, I pictured having someone like Beagle. You know, there's a balance, right? Old Nintendo hockey, you you don't want to have a bunch of skinny guys on your line because you're going to get bounced by the fat kid. So. So I'm going to jump the gun a little bit here. Uh, I don't want to move on and talk about him yet, but with DSP re-signing, do you still think there's a need for Beagle if you're going to have DSP on the fourth line? Um, the face-offs and, and the penalty killing make me say that there would be, I don't know if it's a need, that's probably too strong. But some value there. But there's definitely trying. some yeah, value there, yeah, which is why I would have preferred to have the center the veteran center on the fourth line. Cause you know, are you really ready to roll in and say that Chandler Stevenson's taking all your big defensive zone draws? They did have some big articles about that, right? I mean, <laughs> the, uh, the, I, I believe there was an article right before the end of the playoffs. And this is a hundred percent me just extrapolating here that they were saying that, um, Beagle was taking more risks in the face-off circle when Stevenson was on the ice with him because he thought Stevenson was good enough at the draws that it wasn't a big issue if Beagle got kicked out. <clears throat> and I wish it was tracked somewhere, but I felt like Beagle got kicked out of the draw a lot later in the year, uh, maybe for that reason. We started to see Beagle cheating more and more because he could get away with it because he had a guy he was comfortable with that could come in. So I mean, it's an interesting theory. The easiest way is probably just tell me what Chandler Stevenson's faceoff percentage is. All right. Well, let's and look. if it's if it's not actually one of the league leaders, then Jay Beagle's, you know, whatever. I, I, look, I don't have a problem face, cheating on faceoffs. I think the first guy should cheat almost every single time, and you should have two centers for most defensives on, on draws. That's none of that's a problem. But Jay Beagle's, you know, intuition that Chandler Stevenson can handle it if he gets kicked out isn't fifty four point eight percent. I mean, all right, so that's actually not that's, that bad. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah, so if you're ready to roll with that as your your center shutdown guy to start all your penalty kills and take a lot of your, your tough defenses on minutes, then, then do that, and then you have DSP who can, you know, play or not play, and <laughs> and you can run it, round out the lineup. Um, that doesn't really bother me, but as far as, like, ranking quote-unquote like elite fourth liners recognizing the contradiction i think jay jay beagle is much more of like an elite fourth liner than dsp is yeah i I honestly am not sure how (laughs) i struggle with assessing sometimes these guys sometimes um like for a year jay beagle i've always enjoyed him when he's playing in his proper spot right but when he gets moved up in the lineup it just it kills the team. Like it, it's well, that's not well, on Jay Beagle at all. Right. It's not fair to knock Jay Beagle for that. And I'm not, but I'm not trying to knock him for that, right? But it, it is hard to not think about those moments and, and try to understand why every single coach tries to put him up there. You know, it doesn't matter. Well, if it's, every I mean, single coach that's ever tried to put him on that line is gone. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of them want to stand the cup with it, though, so I, I guess... Whatever. Well, yeah. not not putting him up on that first line. He not during the... Yeah, not, by finally embracing some of the young kids yeah. and putting them in, even when he didn't have to. Exactly. So, uh, you know, look, Reardon seems like he's a little bit more uh, progressive in that respect, and uh, he definitely saw what happened when Pittsburgh, you know, took young guys that could be coached and, and could skate and just put them in position. So I'm hoping that with the depth and then even with guys like Boyd, who you know, in theory are skilled producers if they get the chance that if there's an injury in the top six or nine, it's not going to be Jay Beagle's, you know, first call. Um, but you can't start building rosters or advocating personnel decisions based on, you know, anticipating coaching mistakes, right? No, and that's not all what I'm advocating for either. I, I, I simply say it's 
for me, it's hard to think about his legacy and not think about that. That that it yeah, was top line JV. Exactly, line. it was more of a descriptive statement than a than anything else. Right, right. Um, God, though his 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 honest possession stats are garbage. But not that that necessary. I, I I don't know. They are. They're, they they are. are. They are hot garbage. That is for sure. Um, <laughs> he. I mean, he's he's like sort of like meant to take that that garbage. You know, like. Yeah. I mean, but it, it it's like not even it, it, it's so bad. <laughs> like, so you think you're you're at the point where like let Chandler Stevenson just see if he can't figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I like what's the worst a bad fourth line can do for you? If because like I, I I trust Stevenson on the so let's say you have Stevenson taking the draws on PK two, you've got Backstrom on PK one. Uh, so you're gonna put Backstrom out on first penalty killing unit and first power play. At, as the regu- no, I mean, regardless yeah. of what he does on the power play, on the regular, you're going to want Backstrom taking that first penalty killing unit minute. Wasn't he usually last year? I mean, I didn't think he was a regular first draw every time he was. No, no, no. But I mean, if he had been out there, I, 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 that's it's weird. I, I might be right? one of the guys, like, I feel like the teams generally, like, the, the different power penalty, obviously for power play one and power play two, there's a big difference. For PK one and PK two, I don't feel like they're quite as different, right? Because your goal is like to continuously switch. Well, yeah, but who's taking the first face? The off? first draw. I mean, you'd have to look at the numbers, right? Maybe if it's on the right side, left side, maybe you'd right, feel but a bit I differently. Mean, I don't really ever want Backstrom to have to be the first go-to guy on the penalty kill. Maybe put him in like the third rotation because you don't think he's that good of the face-offs, or. Because I remember that Pavel Datsuk broke a foot blocking a shot on the penalty kill, and it cost the Red Wings a Stanley Cup. Like, why? There's, it's it's a low skill service to the team. Why would you put your high leverage players in that position to just eat pucks and burn energy for no reason? Well, we'll put Travis it's Boyd just, out there or something then. Like, yeah, I like, mean that that's fine with me too, man. I I, I don't have not, a problem with that. Who's the guy that's going to win the first face off and burn your first twenty seconds? Yeah, uh, it's it, it's not going to be Jay Beagle. I I think Chandler Stevenson could do it, or uh, Tom Wilson isn't going to take the draw. But if you can get it towards him, he does a pretty good job of bowling his way through. If he's not going to fan on the clearing attempt like he did in uh, uh, one right. of those early round playoff games, but right, well, like DSP did in like three of them, but, uh, like yeah. DSP did on the game winning goal in game one of the Stanley Cup final. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> and and I think the game tying goal in. Uh, the second goal in, in game five, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, Just win, right, baby. It doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. But what I'm saying, that's where, but that's where Beagle comes in. Those are like, those are this, you know, strategic moments in a game where you need someone who can go in there and win that draw. And if you think Chandler Stevenson's ready to take that job, then, then fine. Cause putting Beagle and DSP back into that fourth line is just going to block the path forward for a bunch of kids where it's, a, it's yeah. about time to figure out whether or not they've got any NHL talent at all. Like it's time. Well, right. Like give, give right. them a chance. And, yep. Um, we, we really should move on though. So I want to give you to give Jay Beagle a number, uh, one to 10. What are you, where are you going? Uh, like six, six and a half, yeah. I guess for yep. the, the playoff bump. I mean, he is what he is. He didn't, yeah, you know, I'm, like I'm, giving, I'm giving him a six too. That, that's what I felt. You and I are actually on the vast low end. Um, Jay Beagle. It looks like the highest response was an eight, then a seven, then a ten. My God. Um, wow, that's well. The, there's there's a there's, there's a little Stanley a, Cup bias. A, I'm sure virulent thread of people believing that Stanley Cups mean tens. Yeah. And I, I do know that for years uh, on the raps, the comments have been, well, if the Caps won the Cup, then this guy's getting a ten right. next year. So Right, going back to when I was still in there. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Michael Kempney, who is a guy that Brian McClellan went out and said um, the, the priorities for free agency were to re-sign Carlson and re-sign Kempney, and then, oh, and re-sign Wilson was the third one, if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, maybe not in that order. So what were your kind of overall thoughts on Kempney? The guy made a couple garbage plays during the playoffs, but more than made up with it for it with some great plays uh, as the postseason went on. Yeah, he's um, he's a tough one to evaluate, I think, because there's not a lot of track record. And he obviously – you don't want to punish him for the fact that Chicago apparently made a mistake 
right, and say, well, you, dude, you were like a healthy scratch on a team that didn't make the playoffs and, frankly, needed all the defensive help they could find. And, and like, it's tempting to say the Caps revived you and they, you know, put you in a spot to succeed. But at the same time, he did it, right? He stepped up and he played really well and he succeeded. And you look at that and you're like, well, what's it worth to have a smooth skating top four defender that can balance out your new $8 million guy? And, you know, there, there's some value there. And I think that his camp probably sees that. And this is probably his first, you know, real shot at any kind of payday. So you can't begrudge him. But um, you also look at it like, dude, you just got dropped into a great situation and you had it handed to you. And frankly, his like box cars weren't there. He wasn't like producing a whole lot. He just, you know, skated and made the first pass and did a lot of those little things that are important for defensemen, but aren't the kind of things that get you paid. So, you know, I've heard him say nice things about Reardon and it was a good fit and all that. And yet the contract's not signed. So, um, you know, he fit in. And he was the perfect addition they needed at the time, but let's not be crazy and and uh, go all in on a guy with such a short track record when you know there was so much support around him. Yeah, I'm thinking I, I wouldn't want to go above like two and a half, right, with the company? Or like what, 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 is, what is your like upper limit for him? Uh, I was, I think we were saying like two and a half to three and a half. Yeah. I spoke the other day that I think that's still where I'm at depending on how many years you get. Um, but I understand where he's coming from because top four defensemen don't make two and a half. No, this this is his best chance to get paid, and I don't begrudge well, him for wanting to get paid. Well, it's his current chance to get paid, but I mean, what's 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 realistically going to make you more money long term? Putting yourself into a con- into a contract right now where you're in a position to actually execute on it and look really good or just going for top dollar and maybe going to a team, like let's say like Phoenix wants to throw a bunch of money. I know they won't because that's not part of their, their philosophy right now, but you know, some team just says, Oh wow, you just played really well for a cup contender. We're going to throw you like four and a half million, throw you like a Jeff finger contract. And then you go in there and you're not playing with John Carlson and you're not playing with a bunch of forwards that are like Stanley cup winning depth. And maybe then it really is your last contract and you're looking at a buyout versus a two or three year deal. If you leave a little bit and you play on a really good team, then, um, but it's a lot easier for me to say, you know, not leaving any money on the table. Yeah. I mean, he's also 27, you know, so it's, he's not, not exactly the youngest guy in the world. Um, no, but I mean, like, the kind of defense he plays ages pretty well. No, he he's does not, for sure. He's, 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 he's not, not a clunker. On, yeah. No, well, I he's not a clunker, but he's also not reliant on like high end skill. Like, yep. He's not like, he's not scoring a ton. He's not super quick or whatever. He's just, he got put in a coaching situation where they let him use his skating ability and make simple first passes. And you, you look and Pittsburgh has done it with a ton of guys. Yeah. And, and they just say, can you move and get yourself to where you need to get to and then make the first pass to these forwards who are really good, and now we're gone. And he, he's fit in that situation really well. But there's a lot of question I have, at least, for they unearthed Kempney. How, how much of a long shot is it that they couldn't find another guy like that if Kempney really tries to play hardball and say, look, this is my chance. And yeah. if, it is, if it is, it is. But... Uh, you know, JP was saying about John Carlson, there's a point where it makes sense to walk away. That's definitely true for Pemberley, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he, I was just thinking about what you were saying kind of about it's not like pure skill that kind of gets him through. You know, he's more on like that Matt Niskanen style of he's got upside, but it's not it's not with flash. And, you know, he, he's not going to go coast to coast, right? Uh, on the opposition, but um, unless it's the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, yes, exactly. If we, I, I guess I should be clear, and I believe Matt Niskanen, uh, his quote about that goal was, "I looked to pass it four or five times, but they kept getting out of the way." I think it's kind of what he said about it. So, um, in case our listeners don't know what goal we're referring to, just just Google Matt Niskanen Flyers. Um, but that, 
I, I, I was really happy that the Capitals got Kempney. Um, I thought Brian McClellan had his best trade deadline this year. Not, not just because the Capitals ended up winning the cup, but at the time, they were able to get two solid defensive players uh, that can move the puck. It was the op. The, you know, they didn't go get a Mike Weber or right, you know, one of those right. type guys. They went Tim Gleason. And, Tim Gleason. They went and got somebody who could actually uh, threaten offensively and move the puck well. It was the kind of player that they had been scratching in the playoffs in previous years to put one of, I mean, clunkers not the right word, but I'm going to keep using it, like one of those clunkers, the, you know, guys that ended up not even being in the NHL the following season. So yeah. um, I, I think I mean, it, why, why wouldn't they have just played Nate Schmidt over Weber? Yeah, or, I, I, I know. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe if they'd done that, we would be talking about uh, a back-to-back situation or something, who knows. But, um, you know, all, all in all, um, Brian McClellan did a great job going out and get Michael Kempney and also Jakob Jurebeck, who uh, or, or Jacob Jurebeck. I'm not going to pretend to to get that one right. I, I still call Verana Jack uh, Jakob sometimes, but um, it it just worked out great for the team and uh, they they gambled by getting two guys for not a lot of money and uh, Kempney was the guy who who really had the battle for that spot and he earned it. Uh, it could have been him or or Urbeck, and uh, it was clear that Kempney was the guy playing better with the Capitals, and and that is why he is, uh, you know, hopefully going to be here for a few more years. So, um, Rob, I'm gonna, I'm going to give him a uh, a seven. I I didn't really have super high expectations for him. I thought he'd be good, uh, not great, and he was super reliable. And I don't remember what game it was, but besides that one egregious turnover that almost cost the Capitals <laughs> a game, he 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 did great. Uh, I mean, I would give him. It's got to be at least an eight. Just because of the the context he came in, I would have had zero expectation. If you tell me that they gave up a third round pick for a dude who was being scratched by Quenville on a team that needed cheap help, I would have been like, "There's no way this guy can play." Um, and he came in, and not only could he play, he was a crucial top four defender. So, like, eight easily, eight point five maybe. I mean. Even that feels like it's cheating him because what more could you have expected uh, a guy who was a healthy scratch that came over for a third-round pick? I don't know. The advanced stats crowd was all about him heading into it. So uh, they actually it's were. Funny. It's funny that Chicago would have missed that then. Yeah, you know, it really is interesting to kind of see that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, the, aren't they one of the darlings, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, this is the same team that gave Brent Seabrook a lifetime contract, so. Right, um, and then they're they're going to go out and sign Jack Johnson to five. Yeah, oh, wait, no, no, that's the Pittsburgh. Other, <laughs> other I, I I don't think I was going to ask you about that at the end, just kind of wrap it up. But I don't think that any. You know, we we look at these teams. We talk about the analytics darling teams, but like teams just go do stupid stuff. I mean, would anybody that was really into analytics have told you that it was a good idea to give Jonathan Taves the same exact contract as Patrick Kane? That one-time 30-goal scorer, Jonathan Taves. I mean, is this really a guy that's worth the amount of money they're paying him? Did anybody ever think he was going to be worth that amount of money? I mean, I get you got to pay your guys when you win, but, I mean, they've essentially locked up that franchise. I mean, in my mind, they're not going to get I mean, close they did, to winning. They did this sort of, like, Parisi and Suter type of deal where they were like, well, we'll just normalize it and give you guys the same contract. But, um, yeah, I, I think that there's probably too much of a premium that Taves is getting for being, being good at defense and, and being super serial. Yeah. I, I saw, but what I think it was, uh, guy, Christopher Watkins, we've had on the show a few times, Yolo Pinato on Twitter. He had like some great seasons recorded for Taves. On, and I'm going, there's no way this guy was ever this, this big of an impact defensively. And maybe I'm just misremembering. Cause I look at his offensive stats and, and laugh that he got named one of the top 100 players of all time, and Malkin didn't. But um, it's just kind of incredible to, to look at how things go on. So Jonathan Taves is a great human being and a a very good hockey player, and Patrick Kane is a bad human being and an excellent hockey player. And with that, let's move on to a guy who appears to be a at least good hockey player and a very good human being, Devontae Smith-Pelly, who the Capitals just re-signed for a one-year, $1 million contract, despite the fact that he could have gotten a hell of a lot more on the open market. Um, we already talked about it a little bit, but uh, kind of what are your thoughts about DSP coming back? 
Uh, I mean, the price is right. That's fine. <laughs> um, you know, the thing is, when, when they got Orpic out and then they hadn't signed Carlson, they were looking at like $21 million in space, and then yep. they signed Carlson, and they still had so much money that even with Kepney and and Wilson, you, you look and you're like, they've got space, and they don't – I'm glad that McClellan looked at it and was like, well, let's use it. Let's, like, let's try to load up this team as much as we can and not give term out because they're going to have to start resigning skilled players, you know, starting next year. But again, I guess, I guess my question is what's the vision for that fourth line? Cause if it comes back and we've got two of the three spots on that line or veteran spots and, and then you've got Stevenson, I would presume would get that, that third spot. You know, you've got three young guys who don't necessarily need to be in the NHL the entire year but I would like to see them get some looks. Um, you know, they're going to have new contracts coming up as well, so you may as well figure it out. And, it, you know, kind of the point that we were talking about the other day, again, if you're going to draft these kids in the late rounds that are slow to develop and they're late bloomers and whatever, if you're not going to even get them developed to the point where you know what you have and you're going to keep them before they hit that, you know, late RFA, UFA period, then what's the point anyway, right? you need to know what they are now so that you can figure out whether they, whether you got the diamond in the rough or you just got a replacement level player with some nostalgia tied to it. Yeah. I think that's a good point. You know, it, it, it this is going to be, this is off the cuff, not, not well researched, but I remember a guy like Joel Ward who was good in the regular seasons and probably better than DSP was, but the Capitals paid a lot of money to get him after that, right? To get a guy who had proven that he could be good in the playoffs. And, and the fact that DSP is coming off of a seven-goal postseason, right, and is only going to get paid a million dollars, it, it's a little shocking to me, uh, honestly. Because um, teams generally are kind of, like, dumb about this, right? If a guy has a really hot run and it happens, uh, you know, in, in May and June rather than in January and February, that usually gives you, like, an extra million to a million and a half dollars a year. Um, so I, I, I think this is a pretty good contract for the Capitals, honestly. Um, granted, DSP had to kind of uh, try out last year, but he ended up doing doing well. And, um, you know, he's, he's not the best guy, but he's loved in the room. And, and if the Capitals in the past have paid a guy $5.5 million a season because of what he does in the room, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see any issue with paying a guy $1 million to maybe do that same thing. No, right. The price is right, whatever. It's not going to hurt him or hold them up um like joel ward was a regular not fourth line player he was in the he was in your top nine he was on a regular penalty killing spot and he put up 13 points in 12 games the year before the cap signed him so i mean he did he went dsp in just two rounds so uh appreciate your point yeah that stuff gets overpaid all the time and i was afraid the caps would but again a fourth liner for one million dollars he's a veteran who has at least shown you that he's he's stepped up and you don't have to worry about him, you know, I guess getting nerves or whatever uh, when they come back in the playoffs. But my my bigger concern is not well, what they paid him or what kind of player he is. It's the opportunity cost. And, and you know, I guess that we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, j- just for reference, it looks like um, Joel Ward had 29 points in the regular season in 80 games with Nashville the year before Washington signed him. He went on to have 18 points in 73 games with Washington the following season. So, so some interesting stuff there. And Ward obviously had some pretty great seasons uh, later down the line. So, um, good on DSP, good on the Capitals. Um, you know, I, I think we've kind of made it clear that we don't feel like the whole gang needs to be back. And um, you you would have rather had, if you had to choose between Jay Beagle and DSP, is it fair for me to say that you would have chosen Beagle? Yeah, because he's more versatile. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't have strong feelings either way. Um, I, I don't know well, why. Well, DSP is a lot DSP can bring that postseason. And he's also a lot younger, right? I mean, it, it's... DSP is still as RFA years, right? Yeah. So it's it's really interesting to think about it that way, because um, I don't I don't know why it is, but I just never would have guessed DSP was twenty five years old. I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what's driving me feeling that way. I I just I feel like he's been around the league for a long time. So, um, and I guess that's because he made his NHL debut with Anaheim when he was just nineteen years old. So, yeah, he's been on a bunch of teams. 
he has been. So uh, good on him. He's guys kind of bounced around, and I'm glad he's get gets to come back to Washington. And uh, I'm really happy that he, he. I mean, he did take a hometown discount for sure. Uh, yeah, he definitely did. So. You know, you don't see loyalty that often in in, in sports anymore, and uh, that's for good reason. Guys got to get paid, limited shelf life, and all. But uh, good on him, um, Rob. We've actually been talking for a long time, and we're about to talk about the guy that that, that puts up the most points. And uh, you, gotta let me, you gotta let me score DSP first. Oh, I do gotta let you score DSP. I just didn't want you to give a bad score. So so go no, go well, ahead. Well, he he might be he might like epitomize what I was talking about at the top, where it's okay. Like, very mediocre regular season. You know, you talked about Beagle's possession numbers being underwater. So were his. But, I mean, that whole fourth not, line. Not quite but, as bad, but yeah. No, not quite as bad. But he wasn't also nearly as aggressively used defensively yep. uh, as, as Beagle. But then in the playoffs, he went off, like, he, you know, completely. So, you know, you look at it like maybe a five regular season and like a ten playoffs. So, um, all told me, I guess, like an eight. I just I can't believe he showed up in the playoffs the way he showed up. Yeah, let, let's talk real fast because I was kind of a fool for not mentioning it before. DSP's uh, uh, game tying goal in Game Five was amazing. That was a fantastic individual effort. I mean, that yeah, was... you mean by you're talking about Brooks Orpik's hands at the blue line? Get out of here, oh, <laughs> Brooks! Like I, I, I think we said this on the Game Five recap pod with uh, I did with Pepper and Kevin and. Like if you had Brooks Orpic try to keep that puck in, like six times or even like ten times, like what, what does it keep it in? Like once, out of ten, that was perfect. And he and he did it right. And he kept it. I mean, Mike Green and those kind of, and John Car- like those guys still mess up on that play sometimes. And Brooks Orpic does it right, just shovels it towards the net. Some great uh, footwork by DSP and, and he buries. So, do you think he scores that if Miller doesn't trip him? Uh I don't know. You know, I. I yeah, actually. I, I think he knew where yeah. he was going. I, I think DSP knew where he was going. He he kind of, like, left his feet. I don't want to say it was like he, he dove, but, like, he he seemed very comfortable with what he did, you know? No, yeah. He was, he was in control. Yeah, good on him. That's, that, that, that's good. He's, he's, he will always be remembered in my mind for I that. I mean, not, not a lot of fourth liners going skate to stick, falling down to the net, so... How many games in a row did he score in that series? Was it three? Uh, I think it was three. Uh, you know, I, I should just pull up the wrap, and I've I've done a bad job here. He got, I, he got the, he got the third one at the end of the first period of game four, and then uh, did he get one of the ones in game two? <sighs> Sounds like yes, something that we should. The, yes, he got the he got the insurance pull after Holby decided to make it interesting. All right. Uh, yes, he did decide to make it with, with, with Hopi's own goal. All right. Um, before we move on to Nicholas Baxter, who we're going to talk about next, I already uh, called out Jason Rogers for writing the John Carlson rink rap. I want to also give kudos to our other writers who I, I honest to God don't know if they listen to us talking, Rob, but uh, to G.F. Thompson, he wrote the Jay Beagle rap. He also wrote the Devontae Smith Pelly rap. And Becca, who wrote the Michael Kempney rap. So, um, and, Michael, and Becca obviously does. So much for our site, including uh, a lot of the clips. So, and she's also one of the managing editors. So, good stuff all around, guys. Um, and now we're going to talk about another one of Becca's players that she wrote about, and that's Nicholas Backstrom. So, um, what are your thoughts on uh, on Backstrom there, Rob? Uh, he's great. Uh, wow, Bra- breaking. <laughs> I mean, well, he he had another season that's just a Nick Backstrom season, right? It's like five straight with fifty assists. Uh, he just keeps doing his thing, 20 goals again. So, yeah, another great season. Um, but that's just sort of what you've come to expect. I didn't even feel like his playoffs necessarily felt all that different. I know that he uh, also had been tagged with some of the, you know, unable to perform in the playoffs um, kind of criticisms. But I felt like his game was pretty much the same. They got a little bit more... Uh, lucky on some of the bounces and some of the goaltending wasn't just quite as absurd as they've seen in the past. So it really did feel like just, you know, his game all the way through the year and just got a little bit more rewarded for it. But it's crazy to me that you look at it and he's done all this and I'm still like, yeah, that's just, that's just what his season is. You know? Yeah. like he started the year really slow, right? I mean, didn't he just kind of crawl out the gate? 
I, I, yeah, I, which is weird because Ovechkin came out so hot. I know they weren't playing together. Yeah, I mean, Ovechkin came out fire, and and Backstrom wasn't quite on it. Yeah, he just didn't seem like himself. You know, uh, he didn't seem as. I I think the loss. This oh my god, I, I'm doing like one of these intangible bullshit deep dives here, but he I I think he was like really upset by the loss to Pittsburgh last year. Um, you know, that team couldn't have been any better on paper, right? And uh, I, I think he was dejected, and all, and then they came back, and um, they started like shit. You know, Barry Trotz almost got fired, what was it, three times during the season, Isabel Kershudian put, put out. And uh, it, it ended up kind of, Backstrom got it together, the team got it together, and uh, Backstrom ended up having another solid campaign with 71 points. Grant uh, and, and his goals ended up not not that far off. Um, he's he's kind of in between eighteen and twenty five goals each uh, each season since uh, two thousand thirteen, and that's a uh, thirteen fourteen rather, and that's uh, that's some good stuff. So, uh, and, and honestly, my my favorite moment of the whole Capitals winning was probably when uh, Ovi and Backstrom, you know, the Ovi Backstrom handoff. Well, probably Ovi picking it up, but then but then the, the Ovi Backstrom thing because. Yeah, those are the two guys that, that to me, most embody uh, all the struggles the Capitals have had in the playoffs, uh, despite the fact that Jay Beagle's been there just as long, but uh, really impressive stuff. Yeah, and uh, the pass that he had in Game 5 was the most uh, amazing, you know, example of, of Backstrom going to Ovechkin on that power play, just crazy that he was able to sauce that through. That seems so good for them. Um the finding of Oshie uh, was that was that game four or game three? That was I think it was game three, right? No, that was the first goal. That was really good as well. Well, yeah, and the and the one to Oshie against Tampa to finally I think yeah, it was yeah game yeah. six to finally open up the scoring. Yes, yes, that yeah uh, okay that yep. one was. I mean, he's got he's got a million, but I mean, the one to Ovi in game five was just that was just crazy tight to go through yep. the box like that. Um, but really, his line was the difference in that series. You know the. The top lines kind of sawed each other off a little bit. Both lines had some looks early in the series, especially in Vegas. The Marchessault line was was just taking it to the OB line. But that Backstrom, Oshie, and I think mostly what they were with Verana, that combination was just great. And and a lot of that comes down to, you know, Backstrom I don't think is ever going to get the defensive uh, recognition. I think probably only people in D.C. are ever going to talk about him for Selkie, and that's fine. But that that kind of tipped the balance in the top six in that series. Um, but it's, it's really, that's just Nick Backstrom. So he's another one that you look at and you're like, you want to, you want to give him a 10 for all the emotion, but <laughs> honestly, like what did he do? That isn't what you have gotten used to seeing from him. He was better in the playoffs than I expected him to be. Um, yeah. Backstrom's actually got, and you know, I love Nicholas Backstrom, but, People like to say Ovi disappeared in the playoffs, but Ovi's stats have always been good. You can't really say the same for Backstrom. He's had some pretty tough playoffs, and uh, that was not the case this year. I mean, the guy, people remember, people talk a lot about Eller's goal in Game 3 against Columbus, right, to keep the Capitals going down 3-0, and for good reason. The Caps go down 3-0, they're not going to win that series. But with the series tied 2-2 and the Capitals having come off their worst period, maybe of the whole playoffs, I mean, they had some bad ones against Pittsburgh, but I believe the Capitals were actually something like 13-1 to in the third period of Game 5 against Columbus. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom was able to deflect the Dmitry Orlov point shot in overtime uh, to win that game. So the Capitals up 3-2 to uh, in the series. That That's a big moment. Capitals lose that game, they might still lose that series, right? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, and, but... Backstrom's got like what four or five. A lot. He he's got a lot of overtime. He's got a bunch goals. of them. He and does. If, and if and if the Caps, if he's not scoring, the Caps aren't like the Caps aren't scoring. So yeah, he's got some lower scoring playoffs, but um, I'm not buying that his is really his fate is any really different than Ovechkin. Oh, yeah. oh for sure. And if you look at like he's got some of the most iconic individual series in Caps playoffs during the OV era. If you look at him against the Bruins. Where he was the only forward that was above water. Didn't he get suspended? Them. Yeah, and he got suspended for a game for crushing uh, Brad Marchand in the face or something. I don't think it was Marchand, but yeah, he popped a guy in the face after the whistle at the end of the game, um, and that was right after he'd come back from the concussion. So whatever. But he that game they got 
completely brutalized, which is why he's the only guy that ended up above 50% Corsi because that game they were so bad that everyone else on the team ended up below 50. And his other series where I looked at it and I was like, that was Nick Backstrom just like showing the world what's up was when they played the Islanders and he was up against John Tavares and he had a great series against Tavares and they ended up winning. Um, he's He's been, I think, not obviously consistently perfect in the playoffs because none of them have. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that he's really like disappeared or shied away or anything like that. No, I, 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 I don't think really. Snake bit is the shooters on the team. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's fair. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's as a passer, he can't really do anything if the guy's shooting can't score, right? Uh, it's kind of the same argument that was made a couple years ago about when Ovechkin, Adam Oates last year when Ovi had 50 goals and like no assists. Uh, and people, we went and looked at his line mates on ice shooting percentage. When, <laughs> it's like 1.8%. Yeah, it, it was something he, he had zero control over. And um, right. that was that was back when a lot of the guys that ended up getting hired by teams were still in the public domain. Uh, Matty Pepper had his expected goal stat based upon where guys were shooting from. And I think Marcus Johansson had like 10 less goals than he was forecasted based upon where he was shooting from. So um, that kind of stuff really did add up. Um but Backstrom, I mean, it, it, it's hard to, you know, thinking back, I mean, the Capitals were, were missing him for, they missed him for a lot of games, right? They, they, they didn't have him for game six against Pittsburgh, most of game five against Pittsburgh. They did not have him for... Um, one and two. One and two, uh, and three, right? Didn't he sit for game, or yeah, was he yeah. back for three? I think, I think he didn't come back till they lost, right, against Tampa. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so he, and then they came back, and... Uh, you know, the, cap, the Caps couldn't win, and then it all kind of ended up working out well. Now, one thing that Kevin Kevin Klein uh, posted on Twitter yesterday, he's, he was kind of talking about Nicholas Backstrom and the, and the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I think this is a really interesting thing because I was trying to think back about what Stanley Cup winning teams have only had one Hall of Fame player on the roster. And, and off the top of my head, I, I couldn't think of any, but I'm not going to lie, I didn't really do a deep dive into it. Um, uh, uh, Carolina 05. Okay. Do they have any? Brendamore's going to make it, right? Maybe? Get the fuck out of here. If Rod Brendamore's in the Hall of Fame, then Nick Backstrom should already be Did Ron is, is Ron Francis in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Was Francis even a player on that team? So, Francis Dude, will be I, in the Hall I don't, of Fame if he's I, not. I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm speaking. Like I'm, I'm. This is not my best look. I'm like I'm. I'm not really 100 percent sure. That's a great pull. Uh, I was th- maybe that. T- now the Tampa team's gonna have. They had St. Louis, who's already made it, and uh, and Andrew they had Chuck. Cavier, and they had Andrew Andrew Chuck, right? Wasn't Andrew Chuck on that team? Yeah, and Brad Richards. Yeah, so that. Well, I don't think Brad Richards is gonna make the Hall of Fame, though, right? Someone's gonna, someone's gonna make it. Yeah, so Ron I, Francis. Ron Francis was not on that Carolina team. He was not on that Carolina team. Adam was wrong. So uh, thank you for whatever. For so so that's Carolina <laughs> team. that Carolina team is my guess, unless you want to put Glenn Wesley in. Yes. Or, I don't know, Cam Ward. Cam Ward. No, God, if he makes the whole thing. The guy's been trash for like six years now. Um, yeah, don't, don't tell some some local Capitals writers that because they think he should be the Capitals' backup next year, which I think is not a, not a good idea. Um, moving on. Um, so what do you think? Does Baxter deserve to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't... I don't even understand why it's even controversial. It seems well, like it's, it's tough because up. the guys like so. If you go only by objective measures, it becomes hard because the league's a bunch of assholes who don't vote him into the like. He's he's like been an all star one freaking time. What do you mean objective measures? Since he's been in the NHL, only one player has more assists than him, and it's one of the Sedin brothers. Objective and, isn't right. Maybe I should have said Bash, awards. Awards. Okay. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And would have already been ahead of him if fucking Rene Borg could keep his wing to himself. Yeah, what a douche. So, so Backstrom is already the leading assist player, and now I'm sure you know Crosby, if he was healthy, would be yeah. part of that conversation as well. But he's the number one assist player in his career span right now. He's the leading scorer from his draft, which is allegedly a pretty good draft. Yeah. Jonathan Taves is going to go into the Hall of Fame without any sort without of Without a question. doubt. Yeah. And and Backstrom has scored way more than him. The top guys in his draft, he's way ahead of Kessel in terms of points. He's way ahead of anyone else in terms of assists. So, you know, what he does, you tell me who's doing it better than him. Uh, so I don't think it's really a question. He's going to put up 
uh, a gaudy number of points by the time his career is done. He's got the cup in case you know people need that to hang on. Uh, all star is fine. That's I think I think that's the one thing that might hurt him is that people are going to say, "Well, you didn't even read the old. You only was an all star once." Uh, yeah. All right. Well. Him well, it's not it's not his fault that it's not his fault that people are done. Yeah. I think he should. I think he should be in it as well. I just think he's going to struggle with the lack of individual awards, uh, awards rather. And I don't think that it's not. I'm just saying that's what, unfortunately, some sometimes that comes down to. But I think it's going to be. If someone smart makes a case, I think it'd be hard to not give it to him, right? Um, I, I wish that Boudreau had trusted him more when he became the head coach, so that he could have beaten Patrick Kane points. Which he might oh, have right made. off the bat. Yeah, to get the Calder. Here. Yeah, because he finished second in Calder Trophy voting that year, right? Um, yeah. You know, that was that, that year Chicago had both uh, Taves and Kane um, as, as rookies, and Backstrom ended up finishing second between Kane and Taves <coughs> for the Calder Trophy. So that, that like, Backstrom has had a, a fantastic career, um, and, and he he got his cup, right? Um it's not. It's not quite as a you know. It's not quite the same as Ovi because Backstrom has done such a good job, kind of uh, doing a good job, makes it sound like it's on purpose. But he's been able to kind of avoid a lot of the criticism, right? Um, so I think it, he just stays out of the spotlight. Yeah, he does. That, that's like, just not his personality. He just lets Ovi take all that. Yeah, yeah. So Ovi was able to kind of get it, and uh, it, it's just some great stuff. I, I, I think it was. A fantastic year for Backstrom and in the playoffs specifically. Um, again, I I personally thought his regular season was a little lackluster, um, but but he really turned it on in the playoffs. Um, trying to pull his numbers here, so I'm not sounding crazy. Backstrom had 23 points in 20 games in the playoffs. Uh, it was the and he was also at a point a game the year before that. So that, that's that's pretty well done. Um, Rob, what what do you what do you give him Backstrom on a scale of one to ten? Again, I mean, what has he done that you don't, you know, you don't really expect from him? Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think I, I, you kind of already hinted at this. He, yeah. He's basically a point per game player forever. His, you're right. His regular season points were down a little bit, um, but he was right there in the playoffs. So for me, I look at it, and when you try to to limit the nostalgia and the emotion of the cup, I'm like, that's that's like a six year from him, a five, you know, five and a half six year because that's what you come to expect from him. Uh, you know, he came up huge and he played through uh, apparently pretty damaged hand yeah. through the last two rounds or round and a half of the playoffs that he played through. So got to give him props for that. And again, like the touch he was putting on some of those passes oh, yeah. when you know that you know, which hand was it, right? It was his right hand. Um, I think it was his right hand. Cause he was going through the handshake line, like, Doing backhand handshakes. I don't remember. I, was that one because I just remember Ovi's on his left, right, in the photo because when he he needed Ovi to help him with the cup, right? Well, yeah, but I thought he was holding it with the broken hand. Either way, either it, it, regardless. One of well, my point was going to be that his top hand is his right hand, which is the finesse hand, and if that yeah, hand is the yeah, one that's yeah. all jacked up and he's still flipping sauce around there, um, it's just crazy. So give him, you know, give him points for toughing it out. But you know, it's like a seven. That's completely acknowledging that I'm just basking in the glow of a cup. I mean, I, I'm a hundred percent. I mean, is, isn't it okay that it's coloring our analysis just, just a little bit? I don't know. This is supposed to be a strictly objective exercise. You know, I, we've and, tried doing that before and people <laughs> seem to get really bored if we, if we do that. So I, I think it's good to have a little bit of emotion in there. Um, Rob, I, 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 I agree with you a hundred percent, man. I, I, I actually, Sorry, Becca. I, I went in and, and pressed the vote button while I'm looking at your preview recap <laughs> that has not yet been posted. So uh, you have a vote before before your article is ever published. So I, I actually gave him a seven. So um, hopefully our listeners will all go and review all these great rink wraps that um, they, they don't take our listeners, uh, our listeners, our writers a ton of time, given that I've done a few. But um, please go and follow all those guys on Twitter as well. Um, and give John uh, kudos for doing all the graphics for him because it, it actually takes uh, I think it actually takes him a little bit of time so great stuff everybody um, and Rob thanks again for joining me man 
Yeah, of course. Anytime, man. Talk to you later. Hey, hey, Rob. Do you do you know your Twitter handle this time for our listeners, or uh, are you just gonna tell them uh, to look for me getting <laughs> me getting harassed again in my mentions? I honestly think that they would prefer to just do it that way. Like, all right, they they probably are just hoping that I'm gonna go on and just start talking shit. Yeah, or, look or... look look for the bully, and you'll find Rob. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I'm not nearly active enough to be an actual bully. But no, it's Rob no. Parker underscore JR in case you you uh, weren't able to figure out which one was talking shit to String. Yeah, I mean, who, who isn't these days? No, but you can find me at, on Twitter <laughs> at StringhamA. Um, and hopefully you will also look at Japers Rink Radio on Twitter. And uh, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, if you guys just want to talk hockey, we're always around. So. Thanks again, and uh, we'll be back again soon with, at, at worst, another round of rink wraps. 